Today on the Matt Wall Show, passengers rejoice as a judge strikes down the CDC mask mandate. This news has provoked yet more delicious leftist tears, but there's an important lesson we can also take from all this. We'll talk about that today. Also, Americans have wondered for the past two years who is really running the White House. Now we know it's the Easter Bunny. And a Washington Post reporter cried about being doxxed and harassed and then proceeded to dox and harass the anonymous person behind the libs of TikTok account. We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. Well, if you're looking to add a little bit of money to your budget, it's a very good time to consider a mortgage refinance because, believe it or not, it's a rather easy way to save up to $1,000 a month. That's right, $1,000 a month. Here's how it works. You call American Financing for a free mortgage review. No pressure, no obligation, no upfront or hidden fees. Just a simple conversation with a salary-based mortgage consultant where you learn about custom loans that may be a better fit because there's more to a refinance than just a lower rate. You can access cash, consolidate debt, upgrade your home, you can even skip two payments, save some extra money that way, creating greater upfront savings at the same time. Think of the possibilities, then make the call to American Financing uh, right now. If you start soon, you may close in as fast as 10 days, so it's simple, it's easy, and uh, you're also saving a lot of money at the same time. We could, all, we could all stand to save some money, I think, right now. So here's what you gotta do. Call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. One more time, 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. For two years, air travelers had to endure an onerous and cumbersome charade of pointless safety precautions. Uh, well, actually, uh, air travelers have had to endure an onerous and cumbersome charade of pointless safety precautions for two decades, not just two years, since the turn of the century. Anyone who committed the sin of trying to board a plane has been treated like a suspected terrorist and subjected to a type of scrutiny screening and, and security screening previously reserved for inmates at maximum security prisons and that sort of thing. The only change over the past two years is that now the millions of suspected terrorists were also all horribly diseased, it was decided. Even after the mask mandates were lifted almost everywhere in the country, still you had to don a mask to get on a flight in spite of the fact that the air inside a plane is already aggressively filtered. The air is circulated through HEPA filters. It's also pumped in from outside the plane, compressed by the engines and sent into the cabin. So the air you breathe in the cabin of a plane is completely replaced every three minutes, every three or four minutes. It is, in other words, the cleanest and safest air you'll ever breathe. In other words, masking on a plane makes the least sense, and yet we masked on planes for two years and kept masking even after masking had ended almost everywhere else. That is until yesterday. U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel, whose name shall be honored and revered by frequent flyers for all of eternity, ruled that the CDC mask mandate was unlawful because actually, slight little detail here, they didn't have the authority to impose mandates. Minor detail as far as the CDC is concerned. The CDC decided, of course, that the pandemic gave it the authority to act as legislature, executive, and judiciary all at once. But this judge disagreed. Reading from the Daily Wire report, it says a federal judge in Florida has voided Democrat President Joe Biden's national mask mandate, which is in place at airports and covers travel and airplanes and other forms of public transportation. Quote, the decision Monday by U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel in Tampa also said the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention improperly failed to justify its decision and did not follow proper rulemaking, the Associated Press reported. The CDC recently extended the mask mandate, which was set to expire on April 18th, until May 3rd to allow more time to study the BA2 Omicron subvariant of the uh, coronavirus that is now responsible for the vast majority of cases in the U.S. 
Mazel, who was appointed by former President Donald Trump, made the ruling in a case that was filed by the Health Freedom Defense Fund. Mazel ruled that the mandate, quote, exceeded the CDC's statutory authority, improperly invoked the good cause exception to notice and comment rulemaking, and failed to adequately explain its decisions. The ruling said that the court declared the mandate to be unlawful because our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully, even in pursuit of desirable ends. Well, we needed a judge to tell us that, that the that it actually, actually, guys, uh, federal government is not supposed to act unlawfully, even if you think you have a really good reason. But then something interesting happened as soon as this was announced. Within hours, every major airline had chosen to get rid of the masking requirement. There was, for about 30 minutes, there was a question of, well, what are the airlines going to do? Because this just says that they don't have to require masking, but they could still require masking if they wanted to. Well, shortly after that, they all dropped the masking. By 9 p.m. last night, American, United, Delta, Southwest, JetBlue, Alaska, Frontier, and Spirit had all announced that they would not require masks on planes anymore. Um, and actually, it went beyond that. Amtrak dropped their masking requirement. Uber dropped their masking requirement. And then videos started flooding social media of passengers learning the news about the masking requirement being dropped uh, mid-flight and erupting with joy. So here's one from a Delta flight right before takeoff when the captain emerged from the cockpit to deliver the good news himself. Watch. April 18th, the Biden administration announced that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. So lots of footage like that. Um, there have even been reports of flight attendants uh, and airline staff weeping tears of joy over the announcement, which is understandable. You know, I'd probably be feeling the same way if I was forced to mask every day at my job. And not only that, but your your your, your whole job becomes, as has been the case for flight attendants. Their whole job for two years has just been enforcing the CDC's mandate for masking. That's all. It, that's all it was. All of a sudden, it's just it's all about the masking, and that's all they did was become the masking police. Though I suspect that some of those tears of joy were not actually joyful at all. Uh, you know, this is a difficult time for the petty tyrants in the flight attendant community, who quite obviously relished the power that the mask mandate gave them over other passengers, which is not all the flight attendants, not even a majority. I would suspect, but certainly some of them. And it's also a difficult time for these so-called public health experts who rightly see in the dropping of this mandate the last vestiges of their power and relevance slipping away, slipping out of their grasp. Many of them have been on Twitter panicking over the judge's ruling. Um, their hysteria is nearly as sweet and delicious as the panic last week over Elon Musk's Twitter bid. It's not, it's not quite that good, but it's still really good. So we'll go through a few of these tweets, and uh, once again, we'll have to play some sad music accompaniment to really sort of set the mood here. So here's Dr. Jeremy Faust. He says, Hi, United. When I bought my tickets for me, my wife, who's pregnant, and our unvaccinated four-year-old, I assumed you would continue to have a mask mandate. Now you cancel it, and we'll have to board our return flight under your new, your new no-mask-required policy? The idea of not waiting until vaccine for all, including kids under five, is pretty much you just saying it's cool if a few kids die so that you don't have to enforce this for another month or two. Public health advocate Dr. Eric Feigl-Ding tweeted, I will not be flying Alaska Air until they reinstate public safety measures against COVID-19. Alaska Air, 
Don't be an idiot airline and let this happen. American Air, your fellow One World Alliance member, you're being warned too. Don't end up like your other UK One World partner, British Airways. Then Stanford infectious disease doctor Abrar Karen said, dropping public mask mandates on travel where people are literally packed together when they're traveling to different places where they may seed more transmission while we're greatly under detecting cases as evidenced by wastewater is a costly mistake at this time. And then Maggie Astor, a uh, climate reporter at the New York Times said, I can't stop thinking about people who may have chosen a book and board this flight based on a personal risk assessment that involved everyone being masked. And then mid-flight, when it was physically impossible to leave, that element of their risk assessment was upended. Well, first of all, it's not physically impossible to leave in the middle of a flight. You, you can do it. I mean, it's not recommended, but you can. But she's right. You know, um, I can't stop thinking about those people either and um, laughing at them. My only regret is that I wasn't on a plane when this was announced and sitting right next to a COVID paranoid person so that I could take my mask off and force them to sit there trembling in fear, helplessly staring at my hideous naked face for the duration of the flight. I would have, I would have enjoyed that so much. I would have relished it. And it's not because I'm a jerk. Well, it's a little bit because I'm a jerk, but mostly uh, it's that the only hope for these people and their long-term psychological health and well-being is that they are thrust against their will back into a normal world where people go about their business and live their lives unmuzzled. This is a kind of final band-aid-off moment for these people. And it will either cause a mental break or it will be a wake-up call. And this is the fork in the road. It's time to go one way or another. You have a choice. This is what I would say to the COVID paranoids out there. Um, you've been living this way for two years. You've disgraced yourself in so many ways and humiliated yourself. And uh, some of us will never really forget it. But you still have a choice. You don't, you don't have to be like this forever. This is your choice. Everyone else has returned to normal life a long time ago. Some of us never left it. And, and, but you, you can come with us and just be a normal person again. You can. It's an option. And this is, this is the time of choosing right now. Are you going to be normal or a paranoid, mentally broken freak for your entire life? Another interesting thing to note here is that so far, while the Biden administration has expressed disappointment over the judge's ruling, it has not announced any plan to challenge it so far. And most likely, I would guess, the administration will simply let this go. I mean, they've seen all the videos of people cheering on planes and tearing their masks off. They know that we're headed to the midterms. In fact, I'm willing to bet that this is exactly the outcome they were hoping for. Because it gets rid of the extremely unpopular mask mandate, but it frees them from the responsibility of having to lift it themselves. Now they can point to the judge, blame her for killing your grandmother, call her a Nazi or whatever, and then promptly move on and pretend that the whole masking thing never happened. It's the best out possible outcome for them politically. But remember something. Even if the Biden administration was looking for a way out of this, as I suspect they were, the fact remains that out of all of the tyrannical, unjustifiable, and unjustified measures put in place ostensibly because of COVID, none of them were lifted, abolished, or rolled back by choice. Okay, the people who put these policies in place, all of these policies, the people who put them in place 
never chose to get rid of them. Most of it went away because the courts forced the issue, and the rest because public backlash had become too much of a political liability for the regime. But if the powers that be had their way, and if we'd all been more cooperative, though many of us were much more cooperative than we ought to have been, but if it had worked how they wanted, we'd still be masking everywhere, and we'd be locked in our homes for most of the day, subject to vaccine mandates and contact tracing. That's what they wanted. It's not by their choice or their consent that things ultimately worked out differently. Never forget that fact, because this is who rules us. They want us controlled, muzzled, tracked, traced, and terrified. They didn't fully get their way this time, but they'll try again. You can count on that. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I'm, uh, I've been an activist against the lazy grocery shoppers who don't put their grocery carts away. Well, I have some tragic news. The grocery carts have attacked me in a, my own car. This is, uh, they were finally getting their revenge. Unfortunately, when I was pulling out of my parking spot, a rogue grocery cart crashed into my car, leaving my front bumper scratched. There are two lit lessons that we can take away from this. One, don't be lazy and put your shopping carts away so I don't have to suffer. And two, you can solve an issue like mine and this completely real story that I'm telling you quickly and without breaking the bank by just visiting rockauto.com. They have touch-up paint and pens that are as easy to use as a magic marker. Rockauto.com is an online family-owned business that sells all auto parts that you could ever possibly need and that are specific to your own vehicle. Their prices are shockingly reasonable and their shipping is quick, so no matter what's going on with your car, you can trust Rock Auto to get what you need fast. Rock Auto has a very user-friendly website and they make it very easy to pick the right parts for your specific car. You'll see photo specs and even installation tips so you can feel confident that you're choosing the correct parts for your vehicle. So what are you waiting for? Go to rockauto.com for your auto parts needs today and write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that I'm the one that sent you. That's rockauto.com to shop for your auto parts today. All right, so tell me if this makes me a bad person. Um, over the weekend on Saturday, my wife went out for a bit, and while she was gone, my kids decided that um, they wanted to play a prank on her. And um, they're my kids, so they have, a, of course, a really morbid sense of humor. So the prank that they settled on, this was their idea. It was not mine. Okay, I just want to make that clear. I, I didn't come up with this. They did. And the prank was to pretend that my daughter, Julia, had been grievously injured. Um, that's what they wanted to do. And, um, and now I may have suggested that some ketchup could be used, you know, to simulate blood. That was my only suggestion. And I did say to them, I said, kids, I, I don't approve of this. This is not your, your, your mom's not going to like this, but you could use ketchup too. That'll make this a little bit more realistic. And uh, so that's all I suggest. That was it. And so they took that and they kind of smeared it on uh, on on uh, Julia's face, and it, it looked really convincing, actually. And uh, then my wife came home, and my daughter she did a great acting job for about five seconds, uh, but she broke after about five seconds and started laughing. Um, but there was five seconds of uh, well, my wife was not too amused by the whole thing, I, I don't think. But like I said, it wasn't my idea, and I just you have to understand. So I know you're thinking, well, you're the father, you know, don't you have control of this situation? And usually I do, but I, this, this, was, this was really, it was more, it was kind of ethical turmoil for me because I have, it's just my principles 
will not allow me to interfere with a good prank. And the way this was shaping up, it's like, it was pretty good. And so I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I, I, I could not allow myself to stop them. You have to understand. That's the case I'm making anyway. All right, let's see. So Joe Biden um, had his own um, fun over the weekend, especially on Sunday with the Easter egg roll, which is a tradition at the White House. One of the many dumb traditions that they should probably just get rid of, especially when you have a president with dementia. And uh, the, 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 you know, the least we see, the, the most that we can, we can keep him out of, out of public view, I think, the better. But um, he was there, and there are a lot of videos that have surfaced, and we'll play some of them, of Joe Biden being kind of shuffled around and verbally prompted, told what to do and say by first his wife. So here's uh, the first clip of Jill Biden and Joe Biden reading a book to the kids and uh, Jill kind of nudging her husband along. Let's listen to that. <laughs> okay, just stay. She's telling me, just sit, don't move. <laughs> She's a teacher. I'm the teacher, you know. She's a teacher. Just stay. Like, a, no big deal. This is the President of the United States. The guy's supposed to be running the country, and he's being treated l- literally like a dog, okay? Just stay. Stay, boy. Stay right there. And then uh, he was also prompted when to wave to the crowd. Play that. Thank you, and happy, happy Easter. <laughs> All right. Wait. Hear it there. Okay, you could hear her say wave. Wave. Now, here's, here's the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say. Um, my one slight defense of Joe Biden, and it's not much of a defense, I will say that this is kind of what my wife does with me at social functions. Not quite this bad. I don't need as much instruction, but she does kind of have to prompt me, like, smile, you're supposed to smile here. You know, just like basic, basic social things you're supposed to do in social situations. Sometimes I need my wife to, to help me along. So this is something that I think wives do for husbands. Um, and so if that was all we saw, just those two videos, I could almost let it go. Uh, but that's not it. Because it wasn't just Jill Biden instructing Joe Biden. It was also the Easter Bunny. So here we have um, a couple of clips of the Easter Bunny. Let's just play these of the Easter Bunny coming in and uh, having to kind of give stage directions to Joe Biden. Go ahead and play this. So <laughs> Joe, he was babbling something about, uh, about Afghanistan and, and Iraq and the Middle East and uh, quickly, the Easter Bunny was over there to intercept him and just point him off in a, in a different direction. Just go, yeah, go wander over there, Mr. President. Just go wander over there. And then he did wander over there. And then the Easter Bunny had to come in again and um, direct him in a different, uh, to go in a different direction. Watch this. This is, this is not funny at all. This is not funny at all. This is the president of the United States who's being led around, confused, hapless, 
being led around by the Easter Bunny. It couldn't even be, like, I'd feel a little bit better if it was Santa Claus. At least Santa Claus is a person, I think, right? You know, but it's the Easter Bunny. Of all the mythical holiday creatures, the worst one. Also the creepiest one to have actually running the show. Turns out that Easter Bunny is, that's the question we've all had, right? For uh, the last year, two years, is is, uh, who actually is running the country? Who's running the White House? Because we sure as hell know it's not this guy. And it turns out it's the Easter Bunny. And the other question was, okay, who is the person in the uh, Easter Bunny outfit? And it turns out that, no, it wasn't some intern or whoever. You, you think pr- probably usually with these events, they just take some lowly intern and they put them in the Easter Bunny outfit and send them out there. But um, this time they had an actual, a high-ranking staffer in the Easter Bunny outfit, which um, I don't know for sure, but I greatly suspect is not what they what the White House usually does. They're not going to take someone like a staffer who has an actual office in the White House. This is someone in the you know kind of the the PR department at the White House. They're not going to take them and put them in the Easter Bunny outfit. They did that so that the Easter Bunny could keep keep tabs on on the President of the United States because the President of the United States has is senile and has dementia. And that was the case before he even became president. When he was running for office, everybody knew it. And still, tens of millions of Americans said, yeah, you know what, that's the guy. I think we want to put him in charge. I don't know how many times I I have to say it. I'm going to keep on saying it. You know, there there is, I have yet to hear, and I've been advocating for this for years, and no one has explained to me why there is not an upper age limit on the presidency? Why do we not cap it at 75? At least, I mean, you could make an argument for capping it at 65 or 70. Um, but 75, okay, 35 to 75, you got 40, you got 40 years to become president. How is that not enough time? If that's not enough time, if you can't do it in 40 years, then it wasn't meant to be. Go home and be with your grandkids. What's the argument against it? Now, I know what the real reason is. I know what the real reason, I know why we don't have an age limit on the presidency, because the people who, who would have to put the age limit in place, a lot of them, it's, you know, they're the ones who want to leave the possibility open for them to become president. So we would need, in order to have an age limit placed on the presidency, we would need the people in charge of the country to choose to limit their own power, and they're never going to do that. And the problem is that each of them individually, they all feel that, hey, I could run the president when I'm 90. They all think that they are eminently capable and that they alone should be running the show, which is precisely the reason why they shouldn't be. So that's the real reason why the age limit will never be put in place. But is there an actual argument, a good argument that anyone can articulate as to why there's no upper age limit? You know, I said this again on Twitter yesterday, and uh, Kira Davis is a managing editor over at Red State, which is another conservative publication, and she, she she responded with, I don't think this is a good argument, but it's really the only one that I ever hear. She says, uh, Matt Walsh, this isn't fair. I think the closer you get to 75, the more you'll see that. The potential wisdom of a man at that age cannot be replaced by youth. If he's healthy and engaged and alert, age shouldn't be an issue. 
Look at Betty White, worked till 90. So that's the way the argument always goes. And there's always some random example of a, of a, of a much older person who was, okay, sometimes Betty White is used. A lot of times somebody will say, oh, my, my great-grandfather, he was uh, spry and sprightly and he, he was real with it all the way to 95. I'm not denying that, but Betty White was, you know, appearing on TV every once in a while, doing some celebrity appearances. She was working like part-time as an actress, as an entertainer until 90, which, which is impressive. Don't get me wrong. And she's very much an outlier. I mean, most people don't even live to 90. And the people who do are not going to be as functional as Betty White was. But even Betty White, as an extreme outlier was just kind of working part-time as an entertainer. She wasn't running, she wasn't governing the country every single day. That's the thing about being president. It's, it's, um, it is a 24-hour, around-the-clock job, usually. I mean, with Joe Biden, it's not, because he goes to bed at about 6.30, you know, he sleeps for 12 hours. He takes uh, four different, he takes four vacations a month, it seems like. Because he's not physically capable of enduring the, uh, the burden of the office. But normally what it is and what it should be is a 24-hour job. So at the age of 80, like, is there ever going to be a time when the person best suited to take on what is normally the, the, one of the most stressful and difficult jobs on planet Earth. Is there ever going to be a time when the person best suited for that is 80 years old? Well, I'll tell you something. If there is ever a time when the person best suited for the presidency is 80 years old, then it, it's over. We might as well just pack it in and give up. The country's over. Like there's nobody under the age of 80 who's qualified and uh, would, would be able to do it. Well, then, then we're screwed. So it's just, we might as well not even have a president. We don't have one now, in fact. All right. Um, so yesterday was tax day, which brings us to this article from Reason Magazine. It says, this year, Americans will spend an estimated 6.5 billion hours trying to file their taxes, according to a new analysis by the American Action Forum, a nonprofit that has been tracking the burden of tax-related paperwork since 2017. The aggregate time it takes for Americans to comply with income tax paperwork, according to AAF's tracker, has fallen a bit in recent years, but the overall cost of compliance has kept on growing. This year, the group estimates Americans will spend more than $200 billion just trying to pay their taxes. Now, to clarify there, that's not that Americans are going to spend collectively $200 billion in taxes. No, it's more like $2 trillion in taxes, but $200 billion collectively just to pay them like paying for services and paying for accountants and whatever else and TurboTax to do your taxes for you. Um, that's an insane amount of added expense being put toward no productive ends whatsoever. Much of the complexity and paperwork of paying federal income taxes flows from the federal government's effort to tax income many times. Grover Norquist, president of the Americans for Tax Reform, a fiscally conservative nonprofit that advocates for lower taxes, tells Reason, Income is taxed, quote, once you earn it, again, if you invest and receive interest or capital gains, again, if you invest in a company that is subject to the corporate income tax, and again, if you're imprudent, imprudent enough to die. If they tax your income one time, when you received it as an income, it would be simpler and it would be less damaging to your privacy. Some of that complexity is the result of a natural result of a tax system that attempts to do a lot more than simply collect the revenue necessary to run the federal government. The tax, co t tax code attempts to balance fairness, enforceability, efficiency, and other goals 
that are often in conflict with one, with one another. Um, yeah, we hear, I think this is a, an interesting angle to analyze here because uh, we often hear complaints about how much we all have to pay in taxes, and those are very much justified complaints. But just the, the amount of time, the lost hours spent paying taxes and the money spent paying taxes because of how complicated it is, that's a travesty in its own right. And yeah, as the article points out, the income taxes themselves are much more complicated than they ought to be or need to be. Because your income, you know, one stream of income is being taxed about 50 different ways. Um, and that's part of the problem. But I think the underlying problem is the income tax itself. And this is another thing that, of course, the people in power are not going to talk about. Because if you get rid of the income tax, then that means less power and control for them. Get rid of the income tax, it means you don't need the IRS anymore. And uh, if you go to a consumption tax model, then you really don't need the IRS. And without the IRS, without the income tax, it's, again, the people in, in power, are. if they were to abolish the income tax in the IRS, they would be choosing to significantly limit their own power, which they're not going to do of their own free will and volition. But among we, the people, you know, this should be something that we talk about a lot more than we do. Look, the federal government revenue—I haven't, I didn't, I didn't look it up, but I think in 2021, you can fact check me on this. I think in 2021, um, federal government revenue was about four trillion dollars, and that's the amount of money that they collected, all told, from us. Four trillion in one year. And then they end up spending even more than that. Um, of that, is that all from income taxes? No. About 40 to 50% is income tax. So let's say 2 trillion. Get rid of the income tax completely, and that leaves them $2 trillion a year to run the government. Is, is it possible, at least, do you think, to run a government on a paltry $2 trillion? I mean, $2 trillion is, is more, if you were to have that in cash, like, that's more cash than exists on the entire planet. Is that possible to do? Do you think they could figure out a way? Can you run a government on, uh, on, on just $2 trillion? Well, you certainly can, but they don't need to right now because they have the income tax which means that they're taking money directly out of our wallets and not just taking it directly out of our wallets, but um, you know that would be bad enough. I wish it was just that. I wish it were taken out just out of our wallets, but actually they take it directly out of our paychecks. They go in, they reach their grubby hands, and they take what they want from our paychecks before we even see it, and then we get the leftovers. And this is a, this is a system that we've all just sort of tolerated for decade after decade. Um, let's see. Next, a professor at the University of New Hampshire, David Finkelhor, um, had some thoughts to share recently about pedophilia in a recent talk online. Let's listen to that. Also, if young people are initiating sexual activities with adults, 
or enthusiastically involved. We can't be effective in working with them if we assume that all such relationships start with a predatory or criminally inclined, inclined adult. The, as, as we see in the discussion, young people bridle at being forced into this uh, box of being seen as being the victim of a predator. And so there are reasons for learning about what the dynamics are and, and how to talk about them so that we can um, better help the young people who are in these situations. Now, you, you heard what he said with your own ears, um, but as we so often learn, what you apparently what you, you, you didn't hear that. You thought you heard it, but you didn't. Now, um, Finkelhor has, uh, which I, his, his name somehow is just perfect given who this guy is and what he's saying. The uh, Daily Wire has a report on this. It says, Finkelhor told the Daily Wire on Monday morning that his remarks in the libs of TikTok clip were taken out of context and that they were made in a talk he gave on statutory sex crimes against children, noting that he clearly said that all these kinds of crimes are illegal and should be prevented. Well, of course, the crimes are illegal. That's why they're crimes. Well, I clearly stipulated that crimes are crimes. Well, yeah, we know that. Um, but that's not really the point, is it? He says, the point that I was making was that we can't identify them if we assume that everybody who is sexually abusing children is identifiable from the kind of predator model where they had prior sexual interest in children and they were forcing themselves on a child. Some pedophilic crimes occur, according to Finkelhor, because young people and adults are unaware of the statutory sex crime laws and thus professionals should spend more time educating people about why this is a crime, more time discouraging young people from allowing themselves to be seduced by an adult's flattery and interest and more time helping children understand why these kinds of relationships don't work out. <laughs> this is him defending himself. This is after the fact. Okay, this is a, like a written statement he gives to the Daily Wire, defending himself and claiming that all these, you know, that, that, that everything's being taken out of context. And he wasn't really justifying uh, child rape as much as it may seem like that's what he was doing. But even in his own statement, listen, listen to the words he's using. First of all, he says that, uh, well, a lot of this stuff's just a, a simple misunderstanding. Yeah, adults having sex with kids, they, just, they didn't know they weren't supposed to. So we have to educate them about that fact. And if it can get worse than that, it does when he says that, um, he, he, first of all, puts the blame on the kids, saying that, that we have to teach them not to allow themselves to be seduced by an adult's flattery and interest. Now, how about, how about focusing on the adults, the predators, and, and, and rather than trying to convince them to not be scumbag predators anymore, we, we, we take them and we put them in these facilities called prisons and we keep them there, we punish them, segregate them from society. I think that's a better, might be a better option. But so he chalks up a lot of child rape to a misunderstanding he does, if the term victim blaming has any mean, means anything whatsoever, then this has to be it. I mean, this is, this is victim blaming. This is the dictionary definition if it has one. And then he says that um, we have to t explain to children why these kinds of relationships don't work out. They're not relationships, first of all. Okay, relationship implies consent. 
a sexual relationship is something that two willing, consenting um, people choose to engage in. When a child's being raped by an adult, that's not a relationship. That's, um, that's rape. That's abuse. And the problem isn't that they don't work out. It's, this is... And here's the thing. Um, again, fr- from this person, this is his defense of it. But when he says he's being taken out of context, what he, re- what he really means, and this is what they always mean when they say that. Uh, I'll be taken out of context. What they actually mean is that we were not supposed to hear that yet. Like we, in the mainstream public, we were not supposed to hear that. This was something that he was having with his other creepy, uh, some, some kind of creepy academic conference thing. And it, it was supposed to live there. He wasn't, they weren't ready to introduce this to Johnny Public just yet. And so the uh, pedophilia, you know, apologia, that kind of thing, that's something that they're going to, they kind of get it ready in these academic circles, and then they filter it down to the public. But they're not ready for us to see it yet. They haven't worked out all the talking points just yet. And so the real complaint is that we saw it before we were supposed to. Thanks in this case to Libs of TikTok, who, by the way, we'll have more on, um, on that in the daily cancellation. One other quick thing. This is a tweet from Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. Um, I think, by the way, keeping Ben and Jerry's in mind, the Daily Wire might need to start its own ice cream uh, company as well. So Ben and Jerry says, we are heartbroken by the loss of our fellow Vermonter, Fern Feather, Sadly, she was another transgender person targeted for simply being herself. This was trending over the weekend because Ben and Jerry's tweeted it and other left-wing accounts were tweeting it about this uh, transgender person who was, who was murdered. And the claim being made by Ben and Jerry's and everybody else on the left is that this was, this was a hate crime. This was someone who was killed for being transgender. But yet, re- you read the article that Ben and Jerry's linked to. You actually click on it and read it. This is what you see. A few paragraphs down. Uh, You get to this. Uh, Well, first, at the beginning, it says, the killing of a transgender woman in Morristown uh, drew outrage and condemnation across Vermont on Wednesday. Hinesburg resident Fern Feather, 29, was found stabbed to death along a Morristown road on Tuesday morning, according to Vermont State Police. Feather's death prompted an outpouring of grief and anger from top state officials and on social media. House Speaker Representative Jill Krowinski said Feather was tragically taken from this world too soon, like so many other transgender people who are targeted in bias-driven attacks. Krowinski said, we absolutely need to continue to take steps to make Vermont a more equitable place and be clear that hate has no place in our states. Well, yeah, we know uh, that bigoted right-wing cesspool of Vermont. And so this is the direct claim that they're making, that this person, Fern Feather, was killed for being transgender. Yet you read a few more paragraphs down, this is what it says. Prosecutors have charged Seth Brunel, 43, with second-degree murder and Feather's death. Brunel, who was not known to have a fixed address, had been spending time with Feather before the killing. Roughly two hours before Feather's body was found, officers with the Sheriff's Department had encountered the pair in a car together in the parking lot. Um, Deputies checked on Feather and Brunel and waited for them to leave the parking lot. Upon his arrest, Brunel told police that he had been defending himself against Feather, who made a sexual advance and attacked him. 
Investigators observed no injuries or evidence of a struggle or an assault on Brunel. Now, the point is, I have no idea whether this self-defense claim is true or not, whether he's telling the truth. I don't know. But there is nothing in that description of the crime that indicates at all that this was a hate crime. There is right now zero evidence, none, that this person was killed for being transgender. Just that they were killed, that they were a transgender person who now, uh, sadly, is dead. And the way that the left does this now is that, is that the simple fact that a transgender person was killed is itself evidence of a hate crime. And that's why you can read articles like on um, one I just had pulled up from PBS. This was at the end of last year. And it said, uh, with nearly two months left, 2021 has shattered the record of transgender homicides in a year with 45 to date, according to the Human Rights Campaign. Last year held the record with 44 trans murders. Um, and this was, we, there were a lot of headlines towards the end of last year about how it was the deadliest uh, year, quote unquote, the deadliest year on record for transgender people. And, 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 and the, these are all hate crimes. Except that's just, that's the number of transgender people who are murdered, period, across in the across the entire country for an entire year, 45. And the claim is what? That with, without, without hate crimes, no transgender person would ever be murdered? Like there's, there's no other reason why a trans person would ever be killed? So you, you, we get rid of the hate crime problem and no trans people are, would, would be immune from murder. Of course, that doesn't make any sense at all. Given that murder is uh, something that happens, in, uh, sadly, in every community in America, you take any group of people, any demographic, and in a given year, a certain portion of them are going to be murdered. Just because they're human beings living in a society where this sort of thing happens. That is not itself evidence of a hate crime. Now, if you were to whittle that down, you take that 45 number, and you look at it, and you look at each individual case, how many of them, out of the 45, how many of them were proven to be actual hate crimes, as in the person was killed for being transgender, and what you find is that it's a vanishingly small number. The vast majority of people murdered for, who are transgender, it's uh, domestic disputes, drug-related, prostitution-related. In other words, it's the same reason why most murders occur against most demographics of people. Those are the facts, not that it matters at all, of course, to the left. Let's get now to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Turquoise770 says, um, Matt likes his Christian music and unintelligible rarefied Latin in dead cathedrals that no one goes to except as museums. Well, unironically, Yes. Uh, Easy Bake Oven says, Jazz Jennings had the same thing happen. No sexual function and not enough growth for the surgery. Instead of the colon surgery, he had an even more experimental surgery using the lining of his stomach for length. It ended up rupturing and there have been multiple revision surgeries since then. It's horrifying. Yeah, that's the really interesting but tragic thing about, the, about Jazz Jennings is that Jazz Jennings has been paraded around in front of cameras his entire life. I mean, since he was like five or six years old, his parents decided that he's really a girl and started, and started you know, um, and, and put him on camera and he hasn't been off camera since. Wrote books about him and everything. 
like consigned him to this fate. Talk about assigned gender. They assigned the female uh, identity, false identity to him. And, but if you track his story over the years, especially into adulthood, um, you see what a total disaster it's been for him. Especially with all these surgeries and all these complications. And yet he's still traipsed out as a, as a trans success story. It's the exact opposite. Let's see, Megan says, um, I don't understand how you could be happy or unemployed. Maybe my fellow millennials and Zoomers have a lot more savings than I do, but every day that I'm unemployed, my stomach hurts as I watch accounts slowly empty and the bills pile up. Well, I think the, uh, the younger people who we talked about in that poll who said that they'd rather, be, they'd rather not have a job and be happy, um, I don't think it's because they've worked really hard and they have a lot of savings and they're going into early retirement. I think it's because they're not worried about the bills because they have someone who's going to take care of the bills for them, whether it's their parents or it's the taxpayers or some combination of the two. And also, it's not that they're happier because you're right, you're not going to be happier uh, when, you're, you know, when you're not doing anything productive when you're not performing any, any, any kind of labor in your life at all, um, especially as a younger person. That's one thing if you're retired, if you've lived a life and you've worked really hard and uh, you get to the, towards the end of it and you retire, I mean, that's one thing. But even, even then, a lot of older people find it very difficult in retirement when they've, got, when they've sort of got nothing to do and they're looking around for something to do. And they have to, you know, if they're going to have a, a happy retirement, they have to dedicate those energies somewhere, take up a hobby, do something. Um, to try to do that when you're young, kind of drop out of the workforce and dedicate yourself to a life of leisure, it's just you're not going to have happiness doing that. But you can have numbness. So you're not going to be happy, but they can be distracted and numb. And I think that's the, most people, a lot of people anyway, elect that instead of happiness because it's easier. Micah says, I couldn't help but laugh as Matt said a dolphin got stabbed. Help but laugh. You're even worse than me, pretending that my children aren't injured to prank my wife. Um, also, why do you take a stance of letting pandas be destroyed but are not okay with a dolphin getting stabbed? Matt, please explain. Well, you know my, my opinion on pandas is that they're totally useless, and the only reason that they're still alive is that we've kept them around simply because they're cute. Now, um, according to some people, they're cute anyway. Yeah, dolphins, we, we do have laws in place, and, and uh, you know, some of them are, in, are endangered species. But these are also highly evolved animals that can, you know, for the most part, fend for themselves. They're not dumb and clumsy and with, with, with no defense mechanisms, mechanisms at all, like, like pandas. So I think they, they deserve to be around anyway. Do they deserve to have more legal rights than human babies do? Well, no, they don't. Of course not. Sports are not the place for politics or virtue signals, and NBA star Jonathan Isaac is one of the few professionals that knows this well. Isaac faced heavy criticism from the media for not buying into the political theater over the past few years and still stood strong, which is why I'm extremely excited to announce that he's decided to write a book with Daily Wire called Why I Stand. Jonathan's book will be about the rise of his basketball career, his journey into faith, and his strength to stand alone in the face of immense pressure. The book is available for pre-order now at Amazon, so reserve your copy today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation.
Well, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you've almost certainly heard me mention the Libs of TikTok account on Twitter. I mention it because that's where I get like 75% of my show prep, but also because the person running the account is easily among the top three journalists in America. Now, granted, almost all journalists these days are morally bankrupt propagandists, so it's not a very stiff competition. But still, the woman behind the Libs of TikTok account performs a valuable journalistic service. Her primary focus, as the Twitter handle suggests, is TikTok. She finds insane leftist drivel on that platform and calls attention to it. And this is important, and I imagine rather emotionally exhausting, work, not just because the videos she finds are often morbidly hilarious, though they are, but because TikTok is by far the most popular social media app among the younger generations. And by revealing the sorts of things that are posted on TikTok, she's pointing the spotlight into the disturbing and often rather baffling environment where millions of kids are being molded and formed. I mean, social media isn't just an app on a phone. It's where people, especially kids, live. It takes priority over what we would call the real world. But to them, TikTok is a much realer world than anything they encounter in three-dimensional space, and they care more about it. That's why it's important for us to know what's going on there, I would think. Also, sites like TikTok are kind of a far-left staging ground. If you're plugged into that world, you'll have a jump on the new leftist ideas and talking points before they make their way into the mainstream. And this is an extremely fast process. You'll hear some extravagantly pierced, blue-haired weirdo on TikTok spouting the latest insanity, and a week later, it'll be an official Democrat talking point, as the pipeline from leftist extremism to leftist mainstream is not very long at all. But it can be helpful to get the heads up anyway. So for, exa- for example, Libs of TikTok posted this yesterday. It's a video from non-binary activist and all-around creep Jeffrey Marsh giving what will soon become the official answer to the what is a woman question. Listen. Here is Madison Cawthorn's definition of a woman. X chromosomes, no tallywhacker. And this gives me a chance to talk about biological essentialism. (laughs) Um, First of all, it's not true. People have all kinds of chromosomes and all kinds of bodies. Women who've had hysterectomies, people born with certain conditions, but that's almost immaterial. Number two, It is a system of oppression. Gender is a hierarchy and a system of oppression. And the easier it is to define gender, the easier it is to keep the oppression going. It's dangerous. Now, uh, by the way, people do not have all kinds of chromosomes. Women have XX chromosomes. Men have XY chromosomes. That's the setup. Now, the fact that a very small number of people suffer from genetic abnormalities or deformities, which in those specific cases may make the chromosomal situation somewhat more muddled, does not change the fact that, in principle, men have XY chromosomes and women have XX chromosomes. There was a case in 2006 of a Chinese baby born with a very rare birth defect that gave him three arms. But this medical anomaly does not invalidate the principle that human beings have two arms. If somebody asked you, how many arms do human beings have, it would be insane to act like the question is unanswerable just because the one kid in China had three. Okay. But the real point for Marsh is the second thing he mentioned where, uh, you know, and I think we're going to start hearing this a lot more. And he says the question itself is oppressive, even dangerous, because gender is a system of oppression. The thing about that is, you know, if gender is a system of oppression, then why aren't we getting rid of it and just going back to talking about sex, male and female? Why isn't he advocating that we see ourselves simply as male and female, and within those categories, people can dress however they want and be as feminine or masculine as they want? Wouldn't that be the way to break down the oppressive gender system? Leftist radicals are the ones who invented it anyway. They came up with the idea that gender is distinct from sex. Why did they invent it if it's oppressive? 
And why do men insist on being seen as women and women as men if the whole thing is oppressive? None of this makes any sense, of course, but it's where leftist discourse is headed, and it's why these videos are important. Of course, Libs of TikTok has done more than post TikTok videos uh, online, though. They, they, she also has, especially in recent months, had a hand in breaking major stories about the grooming and indoctrinating going on in our school system. And I suspect it's this last thing, you know, revealing what's happening in the school system that especially put her in the sights of the elites who've grown tired of being exposed and humiliated by some anonymous account on Twitter. And that's why they've now made sure that the account is no longer anonymous. This morning, the Washington Post ran a major headline story, which serves no other purpose than to dox the woman behind the Libs of TikTok account. Headline says, Meet the woman behind Libs of TikTok, secretly fueling the rights outrage machine. A popular Twitter account has morphed into a social media phenomenon, spreading anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment and shaping public discourse. Now, the article goes on to provide the full name of the woman behind the account, the city where she lives, her employment history, with originally with a link to her employer. And they took the link out, but originally it was there. And it attempts, of course, to also link her to January 6th, because why not? The Post reporter acknowledges that the owner of the account has taken a number of steps to keep her identity private. She obviously wants to be private. She wants to be anonymous. But the Washington Post revealed it anyway. And this is where it's important to mention that the reporter who wrote this article is none other than Taylor Lorenz. Now, you may remember her from a few weeks ago when she was crying on MSNBC about being harassed and doxxed. Let's go back and relive that moment again. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I, I contemplated suicide. It got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. And terrifying. It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's overwhelming. It's really hard. Yes, it's very bad when information gets out that may be used against you, said the journalist literally a week before she wrote an article doxing an anonymous Twitter account. This is exactly why you can't take the tears seriously from these people. I doubt that these goblins are even capable of experiencing real human emotion anymore anyway. But if they are, I hope that the backlash Lorenz gets for her libs of TikTok expose is severe. I hope it makes her cry herself to sleep every night for the next year. I hope it ruins her life some more, because that's justice. It's what she deserves. The only good news for her is that the worst people on the internet aren't going to come after her because she and her friends are the worst people. So the worst thing that can happen to her is that the second worst people go after her. Maybe that'll be some consolation. I don't know. But we know why Lorenz wants to make a victim of herself. She believes that her tears give her license, that they are her credentials, basically which are supposed to confer upon her moral superiority. They're supposed to make her untouchable and above criticism. After all, what sort of monster would criticize a woman with PTSD? Well, I will. Her trauma doesn't mean anything to me because it's not real. She deserves it anyway. The more interesting question then is why they are going after libs of TikTok in the first place. All the account does is simply repost content. And it's not like she's digging through dumpsters to find the content. Okay, and she's not doing what Taylor Lorenz had to do to find the, um, the person behind the Libs TikTok account. Had to actually do some digging to find it. She's not doing that. 
lives with TikTok. She's going to one of the one of the biggest social media platforms in the world, and she's just reposting it. She's taking content that other people put on this social media platform because they wanted people to see it, and she's amplifying it. You know, people on the left do that with me all the time. They take my videos and things that I've said, and um, you know, things I've said on the show, and they they. Media Matters does it all the time. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, I want people to hear what I'm saying. And that's all the libs of TikTok is doing. So why target her? Well, that question is also very easy to answer. As the saying goes, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And she is helping to shine a light into some pretty dark spaces. Spaces that Taylor Lorenz and the Washington Post would prefer to keep out of the mainstream view. They will, in fact, do anything to keep it out of view as Lorenz has clearly demonstrated. And that's why she is today, finally, canceled. Again, and we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Joe Biden is wrangled by the Easter Bunny while Jill tells Joe when to wave. Plus, Democrats begin making preemptive excuses for a 2022 wipeout, and a judge finally knocks down the CDC's mask mandate on airplanes. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.